host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockeypedia cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Sean Shapiro. Sean, what's going on, man? Too much. It's a good Friday. I'm uh, I'm actually, uh, I give some love to our uh, mutual friend, uh, uh, Max Boltman getting married tonight, so uh, headed to a headed to a wedding this evening. So uh, happy uh, happy day for Max Boltman. So well, you love to see love in the air. Yeah, uh, Max Boltman, friend of the podcast. Congrats to him. Um, yeah, I was gonna say I'm doing I'm doing pretty well too. I think we're both unequivocally doing better than the uh, Edmonton Oilers, who are yes down about as astronomically bad as you can possibly be. I think I, I thought it was a good way for us to start today we've got a variety of topics that we're going to get to eventually kind of be moving all over the map and stuff but just while it's fresh on the mind we're recording this on a friday morning and just reflecting on last night just the spectacle of it feeling like everyone in the hockey world staying up to watch this game between the 31st and 32nd ranked teams in the league and Edmonton scoring that goal late to cut it to one and then pulling the goalie and it all being on the line. I don't know. It was, uh, I think spectacle is a good way to put it. I tweeted the the Martin Scorsese, this is cinema meme. It really did feel like that for all the wrong reasons, but it was, I couldn't, I couldn't look away. Like I had Kings Penguins on the other screen and that was a really fun game between two much better teams. And there was drama in that one as well. Brian Russ scores. He gets called back because of offside. He scores like 10 seconds later again anyway. Does the pointing at the goal for for a good goal, sticking it to the ref celebration. It was amazing. It was a really fun night of hockey, and that's fresh on my mind. Yeah. Uh, it's a Super Bowl, right? Like, that's what it felt like. Everyone, everyone. No, it was every, a toilet bowl. Yeah. But every, everyone got to, it's. I, I don't know what the numbers because they don't make them available, but I, I wonder from a hockey perspective, has any game ever better sold ESPN plus slash Hulu as it's as 31 versus 32 in, in the, that was, uh, I mean, like, and then the sideshow villain of like, someone is going to give Mackenzie Blackwood way too much money and a much better job in the future now because of what he's doing on a historically bad team. Like it's, it's, it's there's, there's so many fun things with this. I mean, I just felt like everyone was watching it eagerly with bated breath kind of the anticipation like you could just see it coming from a mile away right and the Sharks scoring the first goal and then going up 3-1 uh the push at the end but just like how hapless the Oilers looked every step of the way how the shots wound up 41 to 28 for Edmonton expected goals were 4.3 to 1.9 and yet it was if you haven't watched a single Oilers game yet this season it was just the perfect encapsulation of every Oilers game this year where it's like they objectively got the better looks. They had the puck more. And yet the goals they gave up were the first one, just broken coverage. They just leave Fabian Zetterlund, I believe, just absolutely wide open right in front of the goalie and he scores a, a tap-in goal. The second one, a horrible bounce, but it comes right into this basically the same area of the ice and Tomas Hurdle whips it home and they had no chance. And the third one, just playing a two-on-one off the rush about as poorly as he can, where both Skinner and CC are playing the shot for some reason, and then the shooter passes it across for an easy goal, and it's like, this this has been the Oilers' season. And for all the comments about, you know, coaching, the players, the goaltending, Jack Campbell being sent down, everything, it all just keeps coming back to that, and it was just the perfect summation, I guess of how they've gotten to this point where they're 2-9-1 they're two, and one now. The Oilers are the NHL embodiment of like you go and play a beer league game and you're looking across the ice at warm-ups and you're like, oh, damn, that those those guys, they know what they're doing. They clearly got guys who play. That, that looks great. And then somehow they lose and you're like, I, I honestly have no idea how they made that collection of mistakes. Like, that's, that's what they are. <laughs> it's, Yeah. It was it was certainly something. I don't know. I, I don't have any more thoughts on the Oilers right now. I'm sure there will be plenty more to talk about uh, as we go along here. But I think we should talk. Move on to a, to another subject because I'm already yes. getting bummed out. Just uh, just think, but it was really it was a fun night on Twitter though, right? Because yeah. everyone did stay up and watch it, and then afterwards it was just an absolute free for all of people just firing off jokes, and so it made for great comment content. But um, 
but yeah, in terms of actual analysis of, of the product, it was yeah pretty bleak. Let's talk about a more fun subject. Subject. Let's talk about Alexander Barkov, a player that uh, was recently playing uh, against the Red Wings. He visited Detroit, where you live, and you were there. You got to speak with him. You got to speak with people around him. You had a nice story about it on on EP Ringside, and I thought this would be a good opportunity here for us to kind of catch up with. With him, the season he's having, uh, the start the Panthers are off to because it's kind of flown under the radar a little bit, but I think it's a pretty encouraging one for a team that it would have been really easy to write off heading into the season based on just how many you know rough injuries they incurred uh, during that run to the Stanley Cup final last summer. I think we all kind of, like it was the easy season storyline going in of like, well, that at what cost did that cup run come to Florida? Where... Um, at what cost and how much would it derail this season and would it be the kind of what happened to two years prior when Montreal goes on now that was obviously bubble aided but Montreal goes on that that Canadian bubble run to the Stanley Cup final and then just just gets decimated the next year on, on top of all that so I think we kind of many people like I, I admit it in my mind I was like you know, could we see something like that happen to Florida and it is one of the underlying, like hidden, like good stories of the year that they're still a contender for the playoffs in this division. They're making things work with guys planning more minutes on defense than they probably ever should because of the nature of the the injuries to um, to Ekblad and to uh, to Montour and things like that. And it's still somehow a fun team to watch at the same time, right? Like sometimes when teams are like scrappy and and, and doing like at the end of the day, while the storyline is fun. The hockey isn't aesthetically pleasing, but the Panthers are still playing a game of hockey that is at least fun to watch. So it's all around like it's a, it's a it's a good it's a good underlying story here right now. Well, it's interesting also that you bring up that style of hockey they play aesthetically because that was kind of my bigger question above the injuries and especially on the blue line, right? Just subtracting Montour and Ekblad and the volume of minutes they play for them and being like, okay, how are they going to piece this together with Nico Mikola and Dmitry yeah. Kulikov and Albrecht Malarson and and so on and so forth was the reason they were able to make that run in large part last year everyone was just fixated on Bobrovsky's numbers and the goaltending but the bigger driving force of that was how hard and aggressively they played every single shift in terms of like yeah. just constantly pushing the envelope uh, for checking you to absolute dust and and just grinding and outworking teams every step of the way essentially and that's a really um it was a it was fun to watch but it's a really tough thing to then all of a sudden especially after a short summer right where you're playing yeah. i mean how late into the summer to the stanley cup final go it felt like it was almost july by the time it ended you come right back and a couple months later you start a fresh season people have had time to recover had time to recuperate teams are feeling fresher and meanwhile you're like all right now, game one of 82 again, we got to do this all over again. It's really tough to channel that energy and have that type of an advantage over your opposition again the way they did in the playoffs. And so that was what I was looking for to see, whether they would just be able to keep that up because from like a motor perspective, eventually the engine just, just stops working the way it used to, right? And yeah. there hasn't really been any of that that I've seen yet. Like even in the games that they've lost and what, they're 7-4-1 so far, so... They're second in the Atlantic Division by point percentage. Like they're they're winning games, but even the ones where they they've lost, it hasn't been for a lack of them just not being able to kind of muster that juice to uh to push themselves across the finish line the way they did last season. Yeah, it's it's they um it, it will be like the long term ability of this will be interesting because one of the things about Florida's run and they even kind of admit it when you talk to players around that team is they. They got in, they hit quote unquote playoff mode last year because they had to. That's how they got it. They got into the playoffs by one point and they kind of had to hit that second level. And there's kind of, it's kind of one of always the questions that we sometimes ask about a team like Carolina, right? Where we're like, okay, Carolina plays this style and they are on you and they beat you up all year. But at some point that style beats you up when you do it to yourself for 80, by game 90 or whatever in the playoffs, do you have a second level you can bring it to? And that's going to be kind of the interesting long-term look for me at Florida is 
how do you what do you sustain do you have a push things like that because it's a great start they're in it and hey nothing against Gustav Forsling but when Gustav Forsling is playing like 28 minutes a night you're not supposed to be the second best team by points division in the in the Atlantic <laughs> no well uh, there's many other reasons. Gustav Forsling is really good, but yeah, certainly it's it, they're they're putting a lot on his plate, which is out of necessity, and and he's doing fine in that. But um, which is why I was surprised to see this. I was just looking at the the odds for for individual awards the other day. I, I did a show about it with uh, with our pal Thomas Drans, and we didn't talk about it at the time, but it kind of ties into this conversation about the Panthers. Paul Maurice for the Jack Adams was listed at like twenty five to one. Which was, I think, tied for 16th most likely by odds, and the people he's tied with are DJ Smith and Jay Woodcroft, who I think are the two most likely coaches to be <laughs> fired any day now. Yeah, and yep, I think br- broadcasters vote for for the Jack Adams, so it's not uh, media. But if anything, I think that would loop in even more this theory of like it seems like it's a very narrative driven awards certainly right it comes down to like what your expectations were um yep. generally yep. coaches of really good teams that are Stanley Cup contenders to start the year don't get a lot of recognition for this award unless it's a historically great season just because it's like all right well you have a lot of good players and we expected this so it's not a surprise we generally reward coaches who either bring teams from obscurity into contention or just you know having this sort of Cinderella season and in this case just based off of last year's postseason run, the injuries to start the year, and the fact that Paul Maurice always seems to be good for some sort of like motivational quote or like some anecdote that he gives to the media. It feels like he should be garnering much more recognition for that. So if you're into uh if you're into that sort of thing, I feel like that wouldn't be uh, the worst way to sprinkle a few dollars uh for Paul Maurice for Jack Adams. With and I, I should know this, but I, I don't like with as long as he's it, it's one of those also like long term, like reputation things, right? Like with Jack Adams voters, like it's always not voters with those Jack Adams stories and everything. It's always fun to be like, oh, we're going to use this to talk about a new coach or a guy who got hired or whatever. And like Paul Maurice has been part of the NHL fabric for forever. Right. And and so the. It's kind of one of the things where he's always going to be there. It seems like even even after he left Winnipeg and and everything like that, he ended back in Florida. It's it's kind of funny how like the narrative of this stuff is if you put a coach who maybe had four years experience, five years experience, something like that, right? Like in Florida, they're probably like second or third on this list. They're like, oh look, a young coach who's got who's doing all of this, but because he's a guy who's been around forever, we're like, all right, well, we don't really need to talk about Paul Maurice right now. Ooh. It seems like people generally like him. Well, listen, like I, oh no, not that people don't like him. I just think it's the, I think it's the 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 state of right kind of how how what these stories do. No one like I, I think so much of these, and it's not supposed to drive when people are making odds makers lists. But I think when people are making these award based lists for for odds, and you could have someone who actually does odds on, and maybe they could give me a few better answers. But I I wonder how much when you're trying to make these odds for you're looking at you're trying to speculate okay well i know media votes on these awards so media temperature definitely comes into play and so i i think that is something that may go into the odds of things because unlike who's go what are the odds and who's going to win the stanley cup it doesn't matter what media coverage is you're going to win or guys are going to win or lose games when it comes to awards there's outside factors that as an odds maker i would imagine you try to take into account for and i don't know Right. It's like yeah. for the Art Ross or for the Rocket Richard, it's, it's a meritocracy in the sense that if you finish with the most goals or points, yes. it's your award. Yeah. It's not us. It's not, it's not subjective. Where in this yeah. case, you're trying to more read the room or read the tea leaves in terms of like where people are leaning and what they're talking about and what the trendy story is. Right. And so that's yeah. why, and, and, and he deserves it. Like, I think he's done a phenomenal job, but how many stories are there right now, including on 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 EP Ringside, our own site by the uh, by the great Sarah Sibian about Greg Greg Cronin right now, right, and mm-hmm. the job he's done with sort of bringing together this young group of Anaheim Ducks that are playing really fun hockey and capturing everyone's attention. And like I'm doing full shows on Pavel yeah. Mijikov, and it's it's because it's like it's a fresh yeah. new thing, right? Art, it's a shiny art. new toy. Everyone's focused on it. Well, aren't the Ducks also like one of the one of the the great lines that uh, 
my old my buddy who now covers the St. Louis Blues, Matt DeFranks, and I would always talk about when we were on the Stars beat is uh, is there's the classic philosophy in this business of write them while you got them, right? That's why we go and we write this the glowing story about the sixth round draft pick at development camp because we're like. This kid's going to be cut soon, but we're going to we're going to write this story because it's great content in July, and we're not going to go through and really talk about how he's never going to see the Stars organization ever again. Yeah. And that's really what the Ducks coverage feels like to me right now in general. And it's it's, it's not a bad thing. It's they're very in vogue right now to talk about. Sarah's story was great. I love the I love what it brings over to the EP Ringside profile talking about the brand there, right? But uh, it's a lot of the Ducks coverage, right or wrong, right now feels like okay. I don't know if the bottom's going to fall out, so let's enjoy this while we have it and write it while we have it right now and talk about it more. And that's so much what Duck stuff feels like right now, where the Panthers don't really have that. It's so. Well, also we had time to tell all those stories throughout yes. round yeah, yeah, one yeah. through yeah. four yeah. last true, year. True, right? very, very true, very true. Yes. So and and it's very fitting here that what we've been talking about the Panthers for ten minutes now, we started this with the intro and sort of the thesis of this being, let's talk about Sasha Barkov. And we just spent 10 minutes talking about the Panthers. And I don't think we really mentioned him at all. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, I guess, very fitting for all jokes aside about him being, uh, <laughs> the, most un- the most underrated player. In- of course. <laughs> yes. Um, we've gotten past that point, but still, I think part of, because he's been around for so long in your story, you're talking about sort of how, much he defers in terms of like spotlight and attention and how humble he is and how egoless he is and all that good stuff while still obviously being a great leader and uh, internally motivated to be his best and keep improving into these later stages of his career, it does fly under the radar because there's so many other things to talk about, right? And it's just not like the flashy thing that's garnering your attention uh, in, in the present. And so I don't know, let's talk a little bit about him and sort of just just the season he's having and yep. how he's not necessarily carrying this team, but like once again, despite all the absences and everything, and yep. like Matthew Kachuk has played really well and all of his underlying numbers look great. And I believe he's atop the league leaders again in inner slot shots and high danger chances generated and all that stuff around the net. He's only got two goals in 12 games so far. And the goals will come for him, but that's a big departure from the 40 plus goals we've become accustomed to from him. They're missing key key players. I think they've gotten what seven minutes this season total from Sam Bennett, uh, who came back in a game against Boston and got hurt again right away and has been out since then. And yet, despite all that, they're second in the Atlantic. And a big part of it is because when Barkov is on the ice, they're just absolutely mashing whoever he's playing. Yeah, it's that's the the true on ice impact. And the other thing that I really and this is kind of to kind of circle us back to the point of the story that I was that, that I wrote uh, for last Saturday for your ringside on Barkov is one of the things that Paul Maurice talked about and you talked to players around that room is the his ability to get everyone moving in the same direction on things and it's something that I know it's cliche right now to sometimes to, to say like, oh, a captain gets everyone moving in the right direction or whatever. But that's 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 something that we kind of often use because we truthfully as media don't really know how to describe a good captain. Too often we just like we just we get lazy and everything like that. And so that could be accused of being lazy and being cliche on this, but you talk to players in that room and you talk around and there's a big point where players talk about in that team about how Barkov doesn't put himself, he puts himself on the same level as the, to use Paul Maurice's quote, is the same level as the 13th forward of the 7th defenseman. Where when he puts kind of the the day-to-day interaction where he's essentially an egoless human in many ways, and the way that he kind of puts everyone else above him at the same time and makes other guys feel involved, that goes a huge way in that room. And it, it, does, it does a ton. I talked to players on that team, I talked to some coaches on that team, about all that, even stuff you couldn't fit into the story. And that's, we hear that about other captains in the league. I've heard that where guys are like, oh, he's the best guy I've ever played for. I mean, find me a player where you ask on the record about their current captain and they won't say he's the best captain I ever played for. Like, just that's the that's the reality. Everyone will say that on I don't know, maybe, but maybe, maybe too often. The end of Blake Wheeler's Jets tenure. 
<laughs> maybe you probably have found some quotes. Maybe maybe they want to put their names to it, but I'm sure you could have yes, dug up but, stuff there. But in general, when you take the when 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 you when you take the actual there's actually feels like there's truth to this one. It feels and it's something where I think his uh his kind of leadership style and everything like that, I think it also is what allows Matthew Kachuk to be Matthew Kachuk. You kind of need the leadership of you need the guy who is the the silent one on one leader in Barkov and the guy who is willing to be to say the divisive thing, to be the face on television, to do all of that stuff. And I think they work so well together. And the story was about Barkov, but I think it's also a point of how well Kachuk and Barkov, their two personalities work well, because you need one of each of those guys in, in, in kind of this ecosystem that they've got in Florida. Yeah, you know how I know that uh, Alexander Barkov's a really good leader and captain? He's got wow. 12 points in 11 games with him on the ice at 5-on-5. Five they're out shooting teams 93 to 62. That's a 60% shot share. High danger chances are 34 to 19. That's 64.2%. And they're outscoring them 12 to 2. And it's him, it's Sam Reinhart, and Evan Rodriguez has been their top line, right? And mm-hmm. one of the keys in that and part of Barkov's versatility, and like Reinhardt's a phenomenal player and Rodriguez is, is an excellent player, good addition for them, fits really well there. But I think in an ideal world, it would be even easier for Barkov if he just got to play with Carter Brahegi full-time because we've seen the, the magic those two guys can create together and they have phenomenal chemistry and Brahegi's a hell of a driver himself. But for this Panthers team to work at its best like it did last postseason, having Brahegi play with Kachuk and then Bennett when he's back there gives that gives that team and that line an entirely different dynamic. And so in this case, you can just basically put whoever you want with Barkov and you're going to win those 5-on-5 minutes against the other team's best players, and then that frees you up to put better combinations elsewhere. And and that's how... I mean, that, I mean again, that's the quantitative part, right? The qualitative part is, is what you're saying in terms of like, yeah. Yeah. it allows it all to kind of come together and have all the pieces to fit. But just leading by example and kind of winning your minutes in the capacity that he does is a big part of this, right? And And... It's kind of like action speaking louder than words, I guess. And and he just time and time again does that. He's also fun, right? Like hockey's like, I, I like watching fun hockey. I like being entertained by whether it's a team or an individual. And when Barkov is on the ice, you're like, oh, it's fun to be a fan of this sport. That That's another thing. <laughs> yeah, he's almost like done in by like how how good he is because his form of being amazing is so smooth. I think you had this note kind of about Jack Eichel too when he's like firing on all cylinders and he does it in a much more forceful way. Yeah. But he pulls off stuff and this is like a, a mark of all the the truly elite players in the league. They do stuff where it just looks so effortless and so easy that unless you've either had to try to do that yourself on the ice as a player or you've been following the league closely enough for long enough to see other players not be able to do that stuff you don't really gain a true appreciation for what they just did right it's yeah. like it just flies on the radar and it just because it just happens and you move on and maybe the broadcast doesn't even really stop to acknowledge it because the game's so free-flowing and going back and forth and so unless you see a replay of it or unless it results in a goal so you can stop and and talk about it it just kind of gets lost in time. And then you have people like myself who who go back and pull up all these random highlights and make mixtapes out of them and try to uh, bring it to people's attention. But time and time again, it's 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 tough to to capture all that. And it seems like that's like that probably happens about 10 to 12 times a night for Barkov yeah. when he's out there. The the sport and it, it would never work, right? Because the sport is not football, right? Football is in every NFL game, every play is replayed two, three times, right? And even in hockey, our, we have a whole issue with how quickly, and I know some broadcast teams have even asked for it. Like we get, they get 20, it's either 25 or 35 seconds from a goal to the next faceoff. Like we were talking about the the defining plays of a game, right? It's 25 seconds from a goal to the next faceoff. You watch a European soccer game, you get two minutes of replays and you get to appreciate everything that had happened. In hockey, it's goal, maybe time for two replays, 
And that's if you don't want to show the bench reaction or something like that. And we just move on because that's the game's fast and we move on. And I know there's actually been broadcast groups have asked for that extra 10 seconds before and the league has said no. So that's always a fun nugget I like to drop in there because they'd like to show more replays, but they can't. And so can you just imagine, just imagine the type of the players who are quote unquote underrated and everything like that. If we had even an average number of replays that could show us all the cool stuff that happens in, in, in the game and everything. And it's not football. It will never be football, but it's something I always wonder if like, if I could get a broadcast where, um, hey, I want replays of actually showing me the cool stuff that's happening in the game as it happens, you'd see so much more. And I wouldn't have to just watch your mixtape. So maybe I'm hurting your viewership and you're against this idea, but. Yeah, don't do, don't do that. Our people <laughs> should keep watching the mixtape. Um, but no, I'm all for I'm all for improving the way we talk about the product. Did you see this? Um, Adam Silver was recently on JJ Reddick's podcast. NBA commissioner Adam Silver and and I saw the excerpt of it on on line about how he had this comment where he he was essentially saying he wishes NBA media like did a better job of talking about the game from like an X's and O's perspective and and breaking stuff down as opposed to just, just sort of resorting to like the lowest common denominator of analysis uh, in terms of like ah oh, these guys like just want it more or, or, or you know. They outwork them, or uh, or or just showing the pure highlights, like actually talking about like pick and rolls and defensive schemes and stuff like that. And I think you and I have spoken about this yeah. uh, in terms of like hockey analysis as well, and like intermission panels, and actually getting to see more of that and how uh, there is an appetite for it, and people are interested because it's just not really common knowledge, right? And like all of a sudden, we hear at the start of the season about how the Edmonton Oilers are trying this new exotic defensive scheme where it's like really just like yeah. a very common thing that everyone does but we just don't hear about it so like that often so when it's a big deal when a team like the Oilers tries to do it based off of Vegas' success last year it brought latches onto it and it becomes a big story and that's probably just because we don't in the meantime in intervening weeks and months and years spend enough time talking about it in other cases did you see the clip um from Mike McDaniels, the Miami Dolphins coach. I've seen every single Mike McDaniels clip ever. The one, but the one from the with the with the German media this week. Yes, where he's getting tell, at, tell the listeners about it. Yeah, where he where the the reporter asks a really like goes through and asks a really in depth proper question and about brings up proper systems and and and, and things that I'll never understand about the NFL. Where the reporter goes through. And clearly is trying to, is coming in with knowledge and wants to learn at the same time. And it was the type of question where you could kind of see like McDaniel's reaction was like, it's like, I'm not used to getting this question. I'm used to, does this guy do that? As opposed to, hey, I understand the game and I want to learn more. And I, those questions, and you and I have talked about it before, those questions typically don't happen in hockey ever, really. Like it's, it's just the type of, too often it's, well, oh, what'd you think of this? What'd you think of that? It's never the, Hey, I understood what happened, but help me understand it more. And those are the questions that never get asked in hockey ever because of A, the format of the game, B, the format of how teams do post game, thing like that. And C, just we don't have a broadcast system that leads it. And that's another thing you and I have talked about before quite a bit, where if more people understood game as they were watching and growing, there would be more interest for those questions in general. But broadcast just doesn't have the time to actually teach what's actually happening. True. Well, there probably is a time. Maybe the time isn't like during the game in terms of those like on the bench interviews or even the the quick one in the tunnel after the during the intermission. But like just from from studio shows and stuff like that, I, there probably is enough time to do it. It's just it's tougher to do and, but, and do it thoughtfully. But yeah, but the amount of things that like so I'm watching like the amount of things that I'm sure that you're watching at home if you and I are watching it a game at home, if we're watching a game at home, we hit pause on something and we find something interesting. And the amount of things that we show, right? The little details that we show on Twitter, um, that we show on Twitter or reporters find and everything like that, that aren't rocket science. They're literally just opening your eyes and seeing something hardly ever end up actually in the broadcast. Like, like for example, um, I took a screen grab of it last night. I'm watching the Dallas Columbus game after Mason Marchman school. There's a, Matt Duchesne has, has a has a on his stick tape it says try Texas on it, right? Literally says try Texas on it. 
Now, this is more of a human thing, not a hockey thing, but that's one of those things where that's, if I can see that on the broadcast and I'm like, oh, that's super interesting. Isn't that something where if you have a reporter there, which I believe ESPN did, that's a very easy, like, oh, there's that's a, that's a simple thing I can follow up on that takes 30 seconds. I, I just think there's little things that easily can be added more to broadcast that some broadcast teams do better than others. Yes. All right, Sean, let's, uh, let's take our break here. Uh, we've run along here on segment one, so we'll uh, squeeze in a break and when we come back, we'll pick the conversation back up. You're listening to the Hockeypedia Cast Streaming, the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, we're back in the Hockeypedia Cast with Sean Shapiro. Uh, Sean, did we did we get to everything you wanted to get to about Barkov and the Panthers and even broadcasts? We, we, we had to cut ourselves <laughs> off there because uh, we were running out of time to squeeze in our break. But um, I don't know if you had any other things or if we kind of put a bow on it. I think we put a good bow on it. I think we did a good job. All right, let's talk a little bit about the stars here then um, because I've got a question to kick off our mailbag today. Uh, we're doing mailbags on Fridays. Um, fun way to to close out the week and we got one from a stars fan i'm assuming uh clap bombs asks what's going on with jason robertson and i did realize that he what he has only three goals so far this year he scored in an empty netter last night against columbus and in 12 games that's obviously well below his pace that we've become accustomed to especially last year where i think at this time he probably already well, he was like still playing at a, at a goal per game pace, I think, early in yeah. the season. Um, so it's certainly strange to see that. And initially, my first thought without having looked at the numbers was, all right, well, I'm sure that this is largely driven by an unsustainably low shooting percentage and he's going to be fine. And then I looked at it and it's a bit down, certainly. Like he's been a high level finisher because of where he gets his shots from, right? A lot of like tips yeah. around the net. I mean, he's got a, a really nice shot in terms of the wrist himself, but also rebounds and stuff like that. Very high percentage looks in high danger areas. And so you would expect him to be in the high teens as a shooter. And he's only a 10% right now. So certainly a bit low, but nothing that screams like, oh my God, he can't possibly stay this low. And so for him having so few goals, it it certainly is strange and something that I probably wasn't uh, realizing enough in real time before uh, our loyal listener clap bombs here pointed it out to us. So uh, what's going on with Robertson? And, uh, and let's talk a little bit about the stars. Yeah, I mean, it's um, fun with numbers, right? And I promised myself I'll never do math on your podcast again after that's led to some some jokes here before. There's not um, a lot of memes about it, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, but he's at the 10% shooting with a 180-foot empty net goal last night against Columbus. So whatever that does to the percentage, so it's really like two goals on 29 shots as opposed if if... That's three on 30, right? So it's, he's not creating nearly as much as last year. Obviously, that's it's pretty simple to point out there, but I don't think like he's on pace for like 20 something goals right now. If you had, if you had, if I had told you before the season, Jason Robertson after 12, 13 games would be on pace for 21, 22 goals, you'd be, that's crazy. And I think part of it is from my view, and it's kind of is, like the stars power play has been just bad that's just a reality there's there's no there's no better way to put it it's been a bad power play and it part of it also comes down to and this is my opinion on things part of it i think comes down to they're not they're not creating and someone who if you want to pull the numbers you could probably prove me right or wrong on this so i don't know this is just me watching the game again last night and my initial view of it a lot of the times when the Stars' power play was working well in the past, you'd see that spot where Robertson's on that flank and the 1-3-1, and he's moving up and down, right? Like, at, it's whether it's either with the puck or without the puck. Either way, he's more constantly moving. He can, And when he's got the puck, he's going downhill. He's creating a bit of that shot. Um, without the puck, he's opening up space for that That kind of allows um, Pavelski and Ben to kind of cycle around a little bit more in, in, the, in, the, in the kind of bumper slash net front area. And he's been way more stagnant on the power play. You watch them play this year, and he's been kind of sitting there, standing there more of as a kind of just like a 
isolated cannon approach more than anything. And I'm not sure if that's Robertson's decision or coaching staff decision or whatever, but either way, there's been that's been the biggest notice for me because he gets so many points from the power play. He's supposed to he's supposed to be that weapon from there. And in reality, he's not moving. And he's not moving his feet enough. He's not doing that. And that that to me is the biggest change when I'm watching the game last night, watching their game against Boston on Monday, and you're seeing what looks different about Jason Robertson. That's the biggest one I can isolate right off the off the bat. Yeah, they're 29th in goals per 60 on the power play this year after being fifth last year with the exact same personnel. And they were probably even better than the fifth most dangerous power play last year just because that takes into account all the minutes where they were giving Ryan Suter PP2 minutes, right? Like the actual (laughs) top unit itself was about as efficient as you could be. And it made sense because of the players they had, the way they were able to funnel the puck into that high danger area. And so far, Robertson has one secondary assist in 30 power play minutes. Uh, He had 13 power play goals each of the past two seasons. He's got zero, of course. And he's just not getting any of that sort of easier, I guess, relatively speaking, uh, production to boost his totals. And and you could have a good debate, which is, I guess, what we're having here in terms of chicken or the egg, right? How much mm-hmm. of it is the power plays inefficiency is dragging his da- his production down and how much of it, him not doing what he needs to be doing is dragging down the power plays efficiency. Like, I'm sure those two things are, are clearly intertwined because of how big of a focal point he is of that unit. Um, you still would, just based on the track record, expect that to come around. I'd, I'd be stunned if the Stars' power play was was this inefficient all year. And I guess it should be encouraging for them that despite that, they're 8-3-1, and one, they're 7th in goal differential, they have the league's best penalty kill, they've been awesome at 5-1-5 and controlling all the markers you look for. And so this seems like a pretty uh, identifiable and fixable thing that could make them even deadlier which is great for them and and worrisome for the other Western Conference teams. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of one of the one of the weird things about Dallas season two has been it's been so disjointed, right? Like the Stars season has been they had you go back to October, they played something like I think it was like they said from the number on the broadcast the other day. Like they went from playing like eight games in like 20 days to like playing like 12 games and like, and then to like 12 in the next 16 days, something ridiculous like that. So it's been a weird team because you watch them play and the schedule has been kind of one of those where you're like, Oh, like this week they played Monday, Thursday. You know, I I know that's not a huge break between days, but you're, you're thinking like, Oh, I'm watching what happened, watching the game last night and connecting it to Monday. Like that feels like there should have been another game in between that. All of every everything with Dallas. It's been kind of a weird team to track off kind of all season on that. And the other thing, like with the power play, um, it's been interesting too because the I think you look at like at Hashkin and, and last night he was last last season, he stepped into that role that they really when they let John Klingberg walk, they really handed him the keys to the top of the power play and everything like that. And I think there's been a little bit of an, an Part of this, we talked about Robertson and chicken or the egg thing, but I think part of this also comes down to stars also need Hashkinen to be a little bit more dominant when a little bit more assertive with the puck on the power play too. Um, and it's the what the cliche, right? Best players be the best players. Like that's sometimes sometimes you just you you need that. I don't know how much you can coach that and, and things like that. So yeah, I mean, otherwise I, I like all the underlying markers in terms of we're seeing what we hope for heading into the year right like they're giving those power play two minutes to Niels Lundqvist and not yeah Ryan yes. Suter anymore they've toned down Suter's usage in general and they've given a lot more of those five on five minutes to, to Thomas Harley now Suter's still playing a bit more but the gap between them has shrunk right the depth players I know Faxo was out of the lineup for a little bit but like I, I like what I see from it because it's a much more offensively oriented or at least like yeah. dangerous group when they're out there you're not just hoping to not lose the minutes, you actually might create something along the way. Um, Matt Duchesne has looked good in in his start to his uh, Dallas Stars tenure. Like, there's a lot to like here, and so that's why I was also interested to see. Uh, I know you noted this in one of your pieces about Patrick Kane being linked to them, right? And 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 that yeah. being a possible destination because aside from 
the fact that it would be tough from a cap perspective to make any sort of addition like that work yeah. right now. Like I'm, I'm sure by the deadline, they'll be able to creatively uh, add if they want to uh, by like moving out a contract and tossing in sweeteners and making that work the way we see contenders do time and time again every trade deadline. But just in terms of like adding another salary onto this roster, that would be tricky. But the other thing is, is I guess you could always add playmaking talent, but for the most part, especially on the wings, like they're pretty good right now. I guess it would it would take Mason Marchman's spot on that Duchesne Sagan unit, but for the most part, like especially in the top six, you're not at this point of his career really supplanting any of those guys with no, what we see from Patrick Kane recently. So I just don't really see the uh the need yeah, I, there, I guess, for that. No, I mean the only the only way and I, I, I have I struggle to find um a way to make it work, even in armchair GM mode, it would be, as you said, can you get Kane into Marshman's spot, both slot on the roster and slot in the lineup? Because, I mean, Marchman, and I wrote a little bit about this this morning at the Substack, where it's like, you look at Marchman's career, and he's a fine player, but he really, you talk about capitalizing on one good offensive season that he had with Florida, right? Like, you look at kind of his 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 numbers, you look at his stats across the rest of his career, and you're like, okay, and I know it wasn't just Dallas, Carolina was in on him too. We picked between Dallas and Carolina. Talk about a guy who capitalized on the market, and he, that's, I think we're seeing what Mason Marchment really is. Right now in Dallas, the story has been, what's wrong with Mason Marchment? How do we fix him and everything like that? And I think more of the story with Mason Marchment is, well, he's a guy who got paid more because he happened to hit free agency at the right time and and played on a really good Florida team that was everyone was scoring on at the, in, in that president's trophy winning season. So unless you can find a way to move Marchment and open the space for Kane, I don't see the way the way it fits in Dallas. It's just that's the reality of it. And with what Marchman's done this season, I don't see how another team could be like, oh, I see that four point five million dollars and I can fit, especially with that like especially with like right now, as of two days ago, I don't I haven't looked yet today or yesterday, but as of two days ago, there's only 11 teams in the NHL that could even call up a guy on league minimum right now. Like, that's just, no one has space to 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 make Marchment fit, so the Stars could then fit Kane in. It just, it does, I don't see how it could work. Yeah. I I mean, I haven't really talked about sort of like potential landing spots for, for Kane on, on this show much, just because I I think the uh, the amount of attention that seems to get from other platforms compared to the actual impact it would realistically have on a team's outlook is it's about it's, as big of a gap as you're going to see. Pat, Patrick Kane's free agency right now, free agency right now, and, and, and good on CAA. This is this is this is this Patrick Kane. The Patrick Kane hype should be like the marketing video that CAA gives to other like prospective clients of like, look what we can do for you. We got everyone to care about this guy coming off hip shaving and do hasn't played, and and we can get everyone talking about you. Like CAA should should use the Patrick Kane scenario to try to sell their clients on raising their profile. It, it reminds me very much of in a tongue in cheek way, but true. It reminds me of when all of a sudden we get to each each spring we get the college free agents and we're like, oh man, we've got six, like this college free agent is going to, is picking between these four or five teams and we all can't, and, and it's a big deal and it's a big win. And whenever he signs with the team, we write this story about how, how like, oh, that this is how they landed this kid who was a, who was a point per game guy at, uh, at Northeastern and everything like that. And then the guy plays like two NHL games in his career and, 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 and has, has, and it's just, it feels like it's the equivalent of that where it's a lot of, fuss and a lot to chat about but at the end of the day is it gonna have a huge impact probably not i mean he's gonna be 35 next week yeah he's coming off a very serious procedure that we've seen players struggle with right like the hips are are nothing to mess around with as we see this week right with nicholas backstrom Mm -hmm. probably being over i understand that everyone's body responds differently to these things and and all that but I don't think the track record of recovery from this and coming back to peak form is very long. And the last time we saw him, I understand it was before this procedure, but towards the end of that Devil Series and last year's playoffs, like he just couldn't operate at the speed required to play against the league's best, fastest teams. It's just not a reality. And so you, you linked like the Panthers for him, and I, I see why he would be interested in that. That sounds great. Yes. Yeah, we just spoke about them and. 
like what did we see from them last postseason what makes them so unique and special it's how much they put on the plate of their wingers to yeah. aggressively forecheck every single shift and work their butts off to recover possession and attack you and not let you up off the mat and even in, in his prime I wouldn't say that that was a, a hallmark of his game so I'm sure he could it's a it's an environment we've seen players step in right look good offensively put up point totals I'm sure they can make it work and they have to creatively find ways to add talent because of how little flexibility they have themselves so I understand it theoretically but in terms of like actual on ice fit even that one is a pretty strange one for me it's I'd love to like the truth serum that we would never get of how many GMs actually actually would actually want Patrick Kane right now like that's the other, because it's one thing right now we're hearing about these lists and everything like that and these are his lists right like I, I could I could easily see like oh of course I would I would love to, if I'm Patrick Kane, I'd love to be in that spot. But these are all his lists. It's not like we've seen stories come out of like, oh, teams are banging down his door to have him come talk to them. Like, I, I've yet to see that story. I've, I've seen, pe- he's talked to people and it definitely seems, and I think if teams were banging down his door, I don't think his agency is putting out videos to show how good he looks when he's skating. That's just me reading tea leaves there, though. Yeah. Um, quick note on Billy Huso. Yep. You actually wrote about recently as well. I I was very. I mean, I get he struggled recently, right? At Sport Logic has him at negative yeah. four point one goal save above expected for the year now in nine starts. Um, he got lit up against the Rangers. What the note that I had that I that I thought was interesting was they made him the third goalie for the night, right? When they yeah. gave him the night off, it was mm-hmm. uh, not sitting on the bench as the backup. And I've spoken on the show previously with our pal Kevin Woodley about how I would love to see teams incorporate this and even go a step further where just don't even show up to the rink, take a night off, recharge. Um, and so in that piece, you kind of, you you showed both sides of it, right? In terms of like yeah. the human element and sort of maybe a potential hits to the ego, but also the logic behind recharging and getting a different view of things and being able to kind of remove yourself from the situation for a little bit. Um, I think it's something that I would love to see applied universally by teams. If you're giving your starting goalie the night off, if you can do so from a numbers perspective, actually give them a night off and don't have them, you know, warming up and preparing as if they might play when they're not going to, and the mental toll that takes on them throughout the season. So, um, I thought that was a an interesting yeah. move. It was cool to see a, a team do that. I want to see it go even further. I want to see a team, and like Detroit's a perfect example, they should do this. While you're carrying three and you have Alex Lyon there, you should do this. There was a, when, especially as an Eastern Conference team that's got a bunch of back-to-backs, when you have, you should do the baseball starting pitcher thing, where baseball teams will send the starting pitcher a day early to the place where he's going to start. So he doesn't have to, so he just can focus on his start the next day. And every, I, I want to see a team be willing to do that where um, I think it was this year, earlier this year the Detroit had a back-to-back where it were in Ottawa and that whole at home on I think it was Saturday Sunday or Friday Saturday either way the second game was at home and they uh, that was one of those where I even asked Derek Lalonde about it and he said well that's outside the box I might think about it but like that's one of those where I, I why are you taking Sunday's starter with you to the game when you know he's not playing that night and if you are going to pull your other guy, it's probably it's either for injury or disaster anyway. So you have your third string guy there who can be mop up anyway. So I want to see the team that's willing to be like, okay, we got a back to back. We got three goalies. We're sending whoever's the guy who's starting the next game, who's starting the second game of the back to back. They're in that city and just watching the game on in their hotel room a night earlier. And then the rest of the team will meet them there. I want to see a team be willing to do that. Let's go further that way. Let's see. Like let let's let's see that happen. Yeah, but hockey's just for good and bad thought of as such a, a team oriented game, right? And so uh, I don't yeah, think yeah, that would yeah, fly yeah. very well. I, from I, I I I get it. I get it. The, the phrase "but hockey" is 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 it's one of the phrases that anytime you have a good idea about something, you, you get you get that rebuttal all the time. But hockey, like, mm-hmm. like oh, that's I, uh, I'm not saying why I wouldn't do it. I'm saying what the listener who is listening at home right now, or the executive that is listening to this. Uh, which there are many of, um, are probably thinking to themselves. But yeah, I uh, I'm with you on that. All right, John, don't 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 take uh, 
my counter as uh as poo-pooing your uh your great ideas because i'm all for it you know i love to think outside the box and uh and we need to change the way we do things and Mm -hmm. the fact that we've always done it this way is is never a good enough uh reason for not trying something new all right plug some stuff let the listeners know what stories uh you've been working on and kind of what to expect from you as well moving forward here um in between the times between today and the next time we uh we have you on the show yeah, I've got uh, for over at EP Rinks. Uh, I recently this week or something. Uh, I have a fun story on uh, Artem Lashenyov, the Michigan State defenseman, Belarusian kid who's probably going to be, uh, I know, probably a top five pick in the draft. Good, sto- good, fun story. Um, you and I, one of our, one of our, one of our mutual favorite players when he was playing well, fun wise, uh, was Dennis Gurionov for you and I. And um, as a, from a human side, I get a lot of. Uh, Dennis Guriano vibes from Lefshano in a good way. It was kind of fun to sit down and chat with him. So that story came out this week early at Ringside. Um, got a, my weekly column for Ringside comes out on Saturday. You have a fun background story uh, where from having talked to an executive about their mem- their memory and reaction from when the uh, Canadians hired Martin St. Louis away from a uh, 13 and under triple a team to coach to coach coach an original six franchise so that that leads the column tomorrow and then uh yeah it's uh and then at some point soon here i'll be uh gonna make a trip up to go to watch the uh to watch the to watch the oh the memorial cup host soon because they play a pretty fun style and they got some fun names and everything so i'll be uh have something on them soon too here nice well looking forward to that uh we will certainly have you back on the show again soon and uh you know you mentioned EP ringside there i uh i write there as well we've got a great staff as we mentioned uh sarah sivian joined our roster as well and did a great piece on ducks so this is a good time if you've been holding out to uh to go sign up and get access to our work and ryan lambert and cam robinson and uh countless others who you hear on this show time and time again i just put out a big quinn hughes feature and broke down the tape of why he's been so uh, remarkably fun to watch but also wildly effective this year so go check that out and um yeah this is uh this is a blast sean uh be well and uh we'll be back with plenty more of the hockey pdo cast streaming on the sports radio network